Hello, dear listeners. I'm Anna, and you're listening to Fangirl Happy Hour from May 19, 2015. Today, we're discussing the first volume of Lumberjanes, an adventure comic featuring a group of babe girls at a summer camp filled with mystery. Then, we are looking at an article published in Beach Magazine about female podcasters, talking about some of the podcasts that we love and asking for podcast recommendations. And finally, we talk about Locking by John Scalzi, a novel about the near future disability that digs into the nature of reader perceptions. With me today to talk about all of these things is my fellow fangirl, Renee. Hi, Renee. Hey, Anna. How are you? I'm great. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. So, um, do you have any notes for today's podcast? Do I have any business? You published some stuff, or ah, oh my god, you announced it. You didn't I did. Published it, not yet. You announced no, it though. I did. Talk yes. about it. Talk about it. Uh, right. Okay. So basically, Book Smugglers Publishing announced uh, this week. Oh, actually, no. It would be last week by the time we published the podcast that we will in 2016 we'll have. The Year of the Superhero, and we'll be publishing five short stories by Isabel Yap, and they are five interconnected um, shorts about five super girlfriends, and they have these magical objects, and it's it's going to be super fun. And we also announced that we have our first novel acquisition, which is the fourth novel in Susan Jane Bigelow's Extra Human series, which is a series that I have loved for a long, long time. I've been reading this series and I've loved all of these books. And it was such a pleasure that we were able to acquire the fourth book. And we will also be publishing or relaunching the first three novels in the series. So it's very exciting, as you can imagine. There was quite a lot of positive feedback, which is also equally exciting. And uh, I cannot wait. Who would give you negative feedback? Who would, be, who would do that? Those guys are fired. <laughs> fired from the internet and also the world. Yes, no. I'm really excited about the superhero thing. It was only a matter of time, right? Until we had superheroes. Yes. Okay. Well, also, on May 5th, the book I edited with Sean Duke, Speculative Fiction 2014, came out. I'm real proud of that anthology. You should be proud. The cover is so cute. So cute. <laughs> now everybody knows why on the podcast a few weeks ago, I was like, guys, I had a breakdown about this cover. Now they know why, because it's an amazing cover. It is amazing, yes. Uh, Kendra Montgomery, the artist, she was amazing. I need to send her like 16 thank you cards. Yeah, she was lovely and she took up the commission and then we just gave her a line saying, so papercraft and space. And she like created this whole thing with her daughter's art supplies. It was just, yeah, super cool. Yep. Um, Super proud. You can buy it. Go buy it. Go buy it. You can. Yes. You can go buy it, but mostly you just need to go buy it because it will yeah. make me happy. And everybody wants to make me happy. And you'll also make happy the charity that uh, the proceeds will go to, Room to Read. So, yes, do it. Okay, so moving on. Business Dawn. Lumberjanes is a new ongoing adventure comic first published in 2014 by Noelle Stevenson, Grace Ellis, and Brooke Allen. Lumberjanes follows five girls, Joe, April, Mal, 
Molly and Ripley as they have adventures at camp, earn merit badges with quick and creative thinking, and discover a mystery that only they can solve. So, Renee, friendship to the max! Yes, I love this. I love this comic. It's so cute. It is the. I think I can say with complete honesty that this is the cutest thing I have ever read in my entire life. I was completely charmed by it. Um, this was my first encounter with it. I had not read it before. I know you have, right? Before. Yeah. Had it Here's the, the thing. My partner really loves Noel Stevenson because she did a webcomic called Nimona. Which also just came out in paperback, and you can go buy it. It's great. But yep, he, I, I actually have that lined up for a read for next week. But he really liked her, and so he was following the comic by individual issue. Like it's on it's on his pull list at the comic shop. This cute little you know adventure comic about little girls. And my thirty thirty year old partner is going to the comic shop, being like, "I want to put this on my pull list." He doesn't have kids. <laughs> But that's really the great thing about it is that it's it is for kids. It's definitely like I would consider this like a middle grade comic. Right. This is what, this is what I was going to ask next. So yeah. you would consider it as a middle grade comic? Yeah, absolutely. Even even in my comic shop, they have this in the kids section. It's so great for adults too. Like that's the like that's the best when a book just can just cross all those lines. When a story can cross all those lines and just be. And entertaining for everybody. Well, no, it's because it, it has everything, right? It has it's it's fun, it's funny, it has great fr friendships, interesting mysteries. Uh, it's a paranormal um, story. Uh, there's a whole thing around historical figures of Girl Scouts. There's like mathematical puzzles and all, all sorts of puzzles, adventure and fighting, dinosaurs. I mean, come on. How, what else do you even... Uh, ladies falling in love with each other. You're way farther than I am. So Why? Now I just want to go. I just want to go. I'm leaving the podcast. So I can go finish my <laughs> <laughs> Go read all the individual issues. Because <laughs> volume one only has uh, one through four. Well, yes. But there's like 13 issues out right now. Yes. I've read until up until uh, issue eight. So I kind of like... Issues one to eight is actually one complete uh, arc. The whole thing around that starts in this first volume continues for the next four issues and then it's completed. So from nine onwards is something else. It's really nice because, you know, you have complete arcs. So there is an end to their shenanigans. So for this first one is them... They see someone turning to a bear outside their hut, and then they go out and investigate. And it's just so hilarious because, you know, they calmly do things. So it's, it's really hilarious because they naturally just decide to investigate something that it's clearly dangerous. And they are so nonchalant about it. Especially Ripley is the best, right? She's the greatest can, character. Can, can, she, can we agree? Listen, there was the, they did a pee gag. She needed to use the bathroom. That shouldn't have been funny, but that shit was hilarious when it finally paid off. Because the little the, the art was just her going, can I go to the bathroom? And then there was like these little toilet paper rolls. And her, listen, 
That gag read through the first issue. I was just, I was on the couch dying. I was like, this shouldn't be as funny as it is, but it's so fucking funny. It is so funny. And I love how she's like, my friends! And then she just does the most outrageous things to save her friends. And then, of course, she loves all sorts of animals. I love kittens. I love puppies. And also dinosaurs. So I'm just putting it out there. So, yes. <laughs> so it's it's so much fun. And like, of course, it's. do you know what I thought about when reading this? It's like these girls are growing up to be, are going to grow up to become the rat queens. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not because they are not assholes. <laughs> you know what I mean? They have such good loyalty relationship their friendship is great they do a lot of things for each other they talk to each other when it's needed they have there is some drama i think on issue eight which you didn't read uh between april and joe but it's so great and april as well she looks like this really not dangerous person at all right and she, she's the strongest of the girls in like in physical cap- capacity to do things it's just yeah it's adorable and and i love i love the art uh it really speaks to me it's clear and it's fun and they are cute as hell the girls i love another thing that i love is when they meet the boy scouts and the boys and they are, these girls are like dirty they swear they they go off on adventures and the boys <laughs> are like and the boys are like, come back to our camp and we made fresh cookies. And they are so clean and tidy. It's pretty great. I am really interested in the fact that this this is the first, I guess, comic for kids. Like, really, like younger kids that I've read. And kind of surprised that apparently this market hasn't really been tapped the way it could have been. I get told a lot by other people who read the comic a lot the comic yeah there's just not a lot out there that's not like explicitly gendered you know that you know that you, they call it the pink problem where everything for girls is locked into these ideas of what girls should like and what girls sh- should find entertaining and that this was a kind of a brush of fre- fresh air for like their collections for their kids which I didn't know, because number one, I wasn't really reading comics. And number two, if I was reading comics, I wasn't reading comics for kids. Because who can yeah. afford all these comics? <laughs> no, but it's interesting because uh, most of the other comics that we read, the superhero ones, they are also seen or perceived to be things for kids or teenagers, right? So in a way, all comics are for kids, except they aren't. Yeah, not really. I don't really think... I'm sorry. I'm not going to give a nine-year-old volume three of Saga. It's not happening. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if they get it on their own, you know, kids, it's fine. If you get it on your own, that's so cool. I read some fucked up (laughs) books as a kid. I seem to remember, like, when I was 11, I found this book that I cannot find a record of anymore. I can't find the book. I want to find the book, so I want to see if it's as bad as I remember. But it was called Make Believe Children. Oh my god. And it was basically about this child star who just spends her entire life like getting molested and having sex and being objectified and used by the Hollywood industry. And I found this book when I was 11 years old. There was caning in this book. Oh right? my god, what? Yeah, and this, I found this book when I was 11 year old and read it like three times. And I was like, I don't understand. <laughs> so, 
Oh my God! So how how were you not scared for life? Because here's the thing I think about that most adults tend to forget about kids is that if we can't handle something, generally we'll put it down. And it's just no, how I... it was with me and my friends. We just we won't get it and we'll just leave it. So the fact that I didn't have stuff like this, like I didn't have anything like this when I was between six and twelve. Right. I had, like in Brazil, we have a lot of comics for kids, proper kids uh, in Brazil. So I grew up reading quite a few of those, but they are not Marvel and they are not DC. They are not like this one. They are they are a Brazilian brand of comics called um, A Tuma da Monica, like Monica's gang. So the main character is a girl. I just remember it now. So I grew up reading those. Um, and she had a best friend called Magali, which was also a girl. It was actually pretty great. And it's actually huge in Brazil still to this day. Yeah, um, I didn't have this when I was a kid. Like, I ended up going from stuff from really young kids. Like, there was these books. And they had tapes that came with them. And the tape would read you the book. And my family members were still buying me that shit when I was, like, 10 years old. Even <laughs> though I had, like, they were buying me, like, storybooks that were hardcover those yeah. were what my family members were still buying me as a 10 year old because there was just nothing in that in our area that was for like the age range and i'm really jealous now that kids have these great i'm sure like they probably did back then but you had to live somewhere else besides the armpit of arkansas <laughs> i just didn't have access and so none of my family members did either and the internet wasn't a thing yeah that was that was that's scary to think they yeah oh my god wasn't a thing yes. for us yet so we had no way to like order stuff so now i'm just super jealous because i would have loved this as a kid i would have loved this comic as a kid i know it kind of has this conversation about what's going on right now as well because it's like it's super diverse most a lot of the characters are people of color and you have two queer characters or you know soon to become queer say because they are kind of still very um, tentative in their feelings for each other so it, it has this conversation with the with the diversity topic and but not in a way that detracts from the story it's not about that these these things are just normalized within the narrative so they are just there because people they are just having fun which is like, yeah, they're, they're going to the Girl Scout camp to have fun. And there is a badge for puns. I know. I was so excited. There is a badge for puns. How uh, great is that? I was like, I, I want to earn that badge. That's my favorite, that's my favorite badge. Cause I, the, because I, in the first volume, there were little excerpts from the handbook, I guess. Which yes. were really super cute. And I wasn't expecting another one. And then I turned the page and it was like... What was it, Pungent Master? Yes, Pungent like, Master. Yes, this is perfect. This, this is the sort of badge that I would want, but I would never get because I am terrible at puns. I'm also terrible so, at puns, but I love them, so I could just hang around with the people who <laughs> earn the badge. That would be fine. And that would be super fun because they would be making puns all the time and you'll be laughing. And this is what this thing is for. I love puns. <laughs> This is obviously doing really well. It's really popular. It's popular with people that you wouldn't think it would be popular with, like like my partner, who's a 30-year-old straight white man. And I'm just really curious why there's not more comics like this. And I guess it's just a marketing thing where people don't, executives, I, I guess, don't think that it's going to sell 
And I don't really understand this idea that they're leaving all this money on the table, this young girl market, because I guess they think it's all wrapped up with the princess stuff. So I'm just really confused about these people who are make media aren't making more media like this. I don't know. It's really frustrating because you would think there are th- th- things like this would be way more popular. Well, I th- I guess they are becoming more popular. If you see Miss Marvel, which is YA, right? It's not yeah. as young as Lumberjanes. Yeah, Miss Marvel would be YA. So it's kind of like maybe that is going to be a trailblazer. Along well, the fact with... that it was 2015 and oh we're my still God, having I these know. conversations. Like, I well, just feel like how many years did these companies waste well, not well, you know, tapping this market? Well, it's everything. They don't maybe maybe they don't believe in the market because Oh you, well we've seen we, that they don't believe in it. You saw what happened with the toy, right? The, yes. The, exactly. Uh, Black Widow. Yeah, and... okay. So people who don't know that this happened, there was a there's a scene in Ultron, Age of Ultron, that it's on all the trailers, so it's not actually a spoiler, where Black Widow drops out of the Quinjet in a motorcycle and like, goes to rescue Captain America. Well, the toy that they made for this scene replaced Black Widow with Captain America and or Iron Man. And so... it's the most ridiculous thing in the world. It's so fucking insulting. It's like they're trolling us at this point. And that's <laughs> like a great example of how the these companies look at young girls. And I don't think Boom Studios is doing a lot of really great work, but I don't think they're like a mainstream publisher. No. So yeah. they're like an indie. I just can't believe that the mainstream publishers are doing this. Like, look at how creative and great this is. Like, all you have to do is invest in it and the people will come because it's really good work. Find really talented, creative people. And I don't know, if I was some of these companies, I'd be like, hey, Noel Stevenson, do you want to write everything for us? Thanks. Here's some dollars. <laughs> I know, I guess there's an element of um, safety. They must feel that they have a safe bet on those types of comments that have sold well for such a long time because they also know and expect and believe that girls and women will buy the same thing that the guys buy, which is true because that's how we've been doing for ages, right? Well, but we there's have to, cause exactly because we don't have any option. Exactly. So I can't believe either that they are there's this untapped market that people are just not exploiting. And it's not even a gender thing at this point because my thirty year old husband reads Lumberjanes. He reads Miss Marvel. He reads Captain Marvel. He reads Black Widow. He's reading these titles. Obviously, there's crossover. It's not impossible. No. I don't understand. This is a mystery to us, to both of us. So, we remain puzzled. We remain confused. But it's interesting what you say because my partner as well, same kind of age as your partner, also sees straight. Never read comics. Only became interested in comics right now with Miss Marvel. And then he just devoured Miss Marvel, Saga, and Captain Marvel within a few days. And he's not a reader at all. The point that we're looking at right now is that they keep churning out these stories with the same type of hero that we've all seen millions of times. So now that you're getting stories from different perspectives, a Pakistani-American teenager, five little girls, you're seeing people 
love those stories and those stories resonate with those people because there's something new. And the fact that some of the companies just want to stay the same and not break out into new markets with new characters, new types of characters specifically, is really mind-boggling to me, I guess. But then again, I didn't go to business school. I don't know how to run a business and maybe they have a reason. I just can't see it. I just well, it just feels to me like they're leaving money on the table. Well, yeah, so at least we have um, those indie publishers, you know, attempting to do something. And of course, I think a lot of it, a lot of the success of Lumberjanes, for example, or Nimona comes from online readership as well. So the internet has opened up a whole new field for indie publishers, for online publishers, you know, to get out there and make a name for themselves and maybe just become recognizable enough to be pulled by the big companies someday, hopefully in the future. Well, maybe not. Or maybe the Indies will be enough to start this revolution. Then we will take over and then, yes. We'll support you, Indies, and your, and your, yes. your goals for world domination. Scout badge for puns. No. God damn it. I've been trying to make a pun for the entire duration of this segment, and I cannot. We need a Justin here to help us out. He's good at puns, but alas. I want to be a punjon master. Anyway, friendship to the max, Renee. Friendship to the max. The first volume of Lumberjanes is available now from your retailer of choice, and sequel issues are available up to issue 13, whatever single issue comics are sold. Did you read Lumberjanes? What did you think? Come and let us know. In February 2015, Beach Magazine published an article by Alex Madison titled, In the male-dominated world of podcasts, more women are claiming the mic. The article discussed why more women were developing, hosting, and producing their own podcasts and discussed some related issues of being a podcast host as a woman in a male-dominated industry or hobby. This is obviously very relevant to us, and we thought we could use it as a jumping point to see what else is out there, podcast-wise, in order to expand our knowledge of the field. So, Renee, you suggested the topic. Uh, we both read the article, and I know that you have some points to uh, discuss. Yeah, yes. why did we start a podcast, Anna? Why did we stop? Did, why did a uh, good question why did we start a podcast i mean wasn't it that we listened to some podcasts run by the men we know and went we could do that i think it's partly it was not my driving force what was your driving force Ada? what was it i wanted to spend some time with you doing something that i thought was going to be fun i had a really good uh experience being a podcast guest at your uh, late podcast, Lady Business Plus, mm-hmm. I started seeing people having their podcasts and it sounded like an interesting and an, an extra thing that I could do towards my agenda of world domination, as we know. And I thought it would be a great project for us to have together. And I think that, to me, is something that we could contribute to the world at large, our thoughts about things. Everybody needs our thoughts about things. You're welcome, like, world. Right? Yes. I think it's very important. I can see an element of stuck into the man there. But I don't know if that was my driving force. So what, what was yours? I listen to a lot of podcasts. 
most of the podcasts that I was listening to in the last like, three years, a lot of them were by men. I was listening to a lot of male voices. Obviously, I had some women hosts on my rotation. I'm not actually sure how many podcasts I'm listening to right now. So Downcast says I'm listening to 21 podcasts right now that I'm subscribed to actively. I'm really behind on these because, you know, some of them release two-hour episodes that I like, but that take some investment of time. So the more I started thinking about it, the more I realized that women in my rotation, my podcast rotation, my podcast rotation were a minority. And I was like, that's not good. So, you know, I went off looking for other podcasts to listen to. And at the same time, I was kind of like, I really miss doing that. I miss having fun conversations. And like a month later was basically when I emailed you and went, let's do this. And you agreed foolishly to my master plan. So one of the things that we talked about before um, starting this segment uh, and before we decided to do this segment was how many podcasts did we listen to and how many were by women? Like you just said, um, you have that that level where you weren't listening to a lot of female-led podcasts. Uh, For me, I didn't start listening to podcasts regularly until a little bit before we started doing this. And then I realized as I was preparing for this segment that most podcasts that I listen more regularly are actually by women. Good job. And that surprised that surprised even me because that was not what I was expecting to happen because I often I listen to two male-led podcasts and they make me so angry so often. <laughs> that maybe they take over they the feel, pleasure. They feel larger in your mind because they, you get so yes, mad at them, right? Yes, yes. I think yes. I think that's it. Because I listen to Dear Book Nerd, uh, which is a podcast at Book Riot. And it's uh, led by uh, Rita Mead. She's a librarian. And she often has guests. And it's a really cool format as well because her and her guests answer reader questions, listener questions, and they work together answering them. Uh, and it's really, it's really fun. I also listen to the Book Riot podcast, the main one, uh, that often has Rebecca Shinsky, I think that's how you say her name, as the host. And then I listen to Galactic Suburbia, of course. And then I also listen to Mavesh Murad's podcast, Midnight in Karachi. But I also used to listen to the, her radio show, which is not really a podcast, but that's what started her uh, in that field. And then she went to Tor.com to do her Midnight in Karachi. And they are not quite the same. They do different things, all of them. And yes, I really like them. And there is another one that I don't listen to, but I would like to. And I don't know why I don't listen to because I know both these ladies and I admire them very much. Is the Dear Beaches Smart Authors podcast with Sarah Wendell and Jane Litt. I didn't even know they had a podcast. They do. They have so many episodes and they talk about romance. They talk about, you know, it, it can be something that actually really interests us. And they interview a lot of people, they have guests, and it's just the two of them. So this is my experience with podcasts. So I listen to more ladies, but it feels like I listen to more men because I I get angry a lot with the guys. Yes, I know this feeling very well. It's actually why I quit more podcasts because the dudes piss me off than anything else. 
funnily enough, when I'm listening to podcasts hosted by women and they say something I disagree with, I generally don't get mad. That's an interesting development. I don't I don't really quit. Like I'm like, oh, that made me angry. I bet I don't quit their podcast. But when dudes make me angry, I'm like, oh, no. And I suspect that's just because in real life, if you're talking to a dude and he says something like asinine, you're not going to stick around because there's plenty of dudes to talk to. <laughs> you, just replace, you just replace them. Which is true in podcasting because there's so many men doing it. And, I mean, we're both in SF fandom, so yes. we're going to pull from that, the podcasts that are available there. Yeah, if you have two dudes running a podcast, or three dudes, or four dudes, uh, the gender, it's just automatic. Your gender breakdown is often going to be terrible. Well, I think that's what makes me more angry about the podcasts that I do listen. They are within the SFL field, yes, SFF field. The difference between those podcasts and the female ones is that more often than not, the female podcast will talk about books by men as well as women, will have guests that are both men and women. And that is not true to the vast majority of the male-led podcasts. They will, they will exclusively or almost exclusively talk about books by women, refer, well, books by men, sorry, will refer to history and the history of the field will always be about the guys and then have guys come over as guests and it gets boring and it gets and it, I, it makes me feel invisible and then I get angry when I feel invisible yeah there was somebody on Twitter was listening to podcasts and like counting how many minutes it took them to mention a woman writer and I don't remember who that is now I wish I did but it was really comical oh it's been 13 minutes since this, into this podcast and you only now just mentioned a woman oh it's been 25 minutes since this podcast and you only now just mentioned a woman writer I really wish I remember who this was because it was amazing <laughs> I would just sit there and crack <laughs> up like and the problem is that sometimes I thought I would know what podcast they were talking about and I'm sure yeah. you also <laughs> know the podcast that they might have been talking about as well which we're not going to mention because that's just I just think that if if you're a dude and you run a podcast, you need to think about the gender breakdown of who you're talking about, what voices you're promoting, what stories are you talking about, and who are they by. It's you can't just not think about it because if you don't think about it, congratulations, your your podcast is 100 percent dudes. Like even us, even with our stuff, I go back and I look right to see okay, who are we covering? We talked about covering, I think, the Grace of Kings, but then yes. we're like, wait, maybe we shouldn't because we've already we've covered some dudes already maybe we should maybe not do that it's it's really easy to forget it is it is easy to forget definitely uh it's something that i need to be aware all the time as well with my reading even with my uh reviewing with everything because it's so so there's so much of it it feels more intimate too with the podcast right when they don't mention women it feels more offensive it feels more like you said it feels you feel invisible invisible it's just like podcasts are so much more intimate it's it's so true. Even when they talk about women, it's just with the not sense of reverence, not the same sense of prestige that they afford or offer to their male counterparts. And that also makes me angry. So going back to the article, one of the things that I thought very interesting about it was 
how they mentioned that women now are getting position of power in a way that they can now produce or hire women to do podcasts as well. So kind of there's a shift within certain fields that is allowing for this to happen, which is great because we, we really need to have those voices because, you know, we are all out there. And it's interesting because today, what was it that we were all tweeting about and laughing about the MRA guys. Yeah, the Men Rights activists yes. basically threw a big, huge fit over Mad Max Fury Road and like implored people not to go see it because if it, it's successful, then all blockbusters are going to become like a feminist nightmare with social justice warrior undertones. I know. And it was it was fantastic. It was perfect. So I'm like, it was perfect. Yeah. So. So now, yes, let's have more podcasts by women, please. Yes, I agree. So that stick to these guys. The thing about you said about the voice, right? I don't hear a lot of people like me on podcasts. People with my accent. They're all like that New England or like Midwestern accent. It's very even. I don't hear a lot of people that sound like... I do. It makes you feel very lonely when you're listening to like 21 podcasts and you don't hear somebody that sounds like you. And I also think that's a big reason that me and you and our podcast is very valuable because there's just like that very generic American voice, that radio voice yeah, that you hear. And we are definitely not that at all. Uh, yes. Negative. <laughs> Negatory. <laughs> so the article also talks about voice, right? They link to a video that NPR did about talking while female where women are taken less seriously when they speak they're not considered as authoritative or correct like because people consider voices that are lower to be more trustworthy more likely to have the correct answer it was really infuriating to realize that's absolutely true it is absolutely true because we do that ourselves i constantly have to check myself before I say things because I constantly want to say I think instead of just making a statement. It's, it's not something that I am even aware of, although now that I listen to myself more often, I can, I can see what I'm doing there. And I'm trying to be more aware of it when recording the podcast. And I know we get really nervous sometimes too, both of us, because we're just like, oh, we're oh, that sounded dumb, oh, that we sounded squeaky, oh, we sounded X, Y, Z. I'm just wondering how much of that nonsense that we've internalized that we think that way. Yes, definitely I have a thing about my accent, which is a Brazilian accent. I'm very self-conscious of it, yes. I've given up trying to be self-conscious of my accent. I went to a thing called Girl State in Arkansas. It's like a little, you go and you pretend to like run for different, offices in, oh. in groups like you go from local government to county government state government so you just basically run through these elections and you teach it's used to teach girls about the political process it's also it's not a bad thing it was just maybe too jesus heavy for me at the final ceremony where they were gonna announce who got the presidency me and my group were out in the lobby and this group of boys they were older than us. We were, I think they were students at the school. One of them came over and asked me for directions. And he was obviously not from Arkansas. And I told him the directions. And he looked at me and he was like, wow. He's like, can't you talk normally? 
Oh my god. And that experience... I just just saw red. He couldn't understand me. I admit that I was in a city. I wasn't... Like, it it was a city. And I wasn't from that city. I was from a smaller town. So my accent was much thicker when I was younger. It's gotten... I've erased it, right? I've gotten rid of it. I've tried to suppress it in some ways because people think you're stupid when you sound like a southerner. People think you're an idiot. They assume you are not intelligent. Jesus Christ. I'm so mad. I'm still mad about that. Like, oh, then this... I, was, I, was, I was, as a teenage girl, I was devastated, but then I just got angry. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with being mocked for how you sound? You can't, because you, you can't control it. There's nothing you can do. I just, well, you can, you can change the way you speak. It's something that I'm very conscious about. I, like I said, I'm very self-conscious of my accent, but I do not make an effort to change it and I won't make an effort to change it because it's just the way I sound is the way that I am but for me what happens is when someone listens to my accent they ask where I'm from and then immediately I cannot even tell you how many times in my life this has happened immediately they mostly men look at me listen to my accent discover that I'm Brazilian and then all of a sudden oh you have such a sexy accent it's just that is so creepy it's just so it's awful and then if you are having a dinner with someone or if you are at an event and someone tells you that it's just so uncomfortable especially when you cannot do anything when about it you can't it. leave in your trapped because yes whatever obligations yes exactly it's awful. and that has happened so many times and of course people will think that this is something that i like to hear for some reason, because no. you know, being sexy is a good thing to some people. Your dudes, no. Mind. So, no. I think some of the things we've experienced is just the fact that we don't hear women's voices in society like we do men's. Women's voices are suppressed or just erased. It's like that that movie trailer that went around where this woman's trying to become like a movie announcer. Think of like movie announcers, right? People like tra- in trailers. Oh, there is, yeah, yeah. No, so, no women, yeah announcers at events you know what i mean like women get the computer voice we're we're the we're the computer voice on the helpline we're siri it's really frustrating to me that we're not present vocally we're not present in a way that other women can hear in a lot of ways and it's really frustrating and i think that some of this podcast thing where women are coming to podcasts or because or because like the article says women start podcasts other women other women listen to those podcasts and we don't realize i can do that too yes i hear people like me i won't be alone i mean even now with the top if you go look at itunes in the top podcast it's like dude 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 but i do listen to like i mean i listen to 21 podcasts and a lot of them are about men but a lot of them are about women like i listen to galactic suburbia like you do which is excellent yeah, I listened to Criminal, and I'm not. I don't remember her name, but it's a, it has a woman as a host, and it's kind of like it's kind of like Serial. I found it because somebody recommended like recommended it to me because I liked Serial, where she like looks at a, a case and like talks about it, and interviews people. It's really interesting. It's also short, it's like twenty thirty minutes. Okay, I listened to Girl on Guy with Aisha Tyler. Aisha Tyler is the host of Whose Line Is It Anyway, and she's also on Archer, I think. And she interviews people, some, mostly mostly men, but sometimes women. I listen to Pop Culture Happy Hour, 
And also listen to Slate's Culture Gap Fest, uh, Dana and Julia, who are the other two co-hosts that are excellent. Uh, listen to Slash Report with Prue and MK. There, that's a fetish. It's like definitely a fetish podcast. So you have to kind of be into like that side of fandom to, to know <laughs> their language. But they're excellent to listen to as well. I listen to a lot of women, but it's taken me a long time because for, you know, for ages, I was listening to mostly male run podcasts. I had to like really search and find podcasts by women to listen to because when I started first started listening to them there wasn't a lot of them on topics that didn't like interest me to, yeah because that's a, an issue too so yes. when you when you have a small pool of podcasts and you make it even smaller by a, needing niche topics it makes it really difficult to yeah find of things course to listen to. so within SFF which is what interests us or part of what interests us apart from Galactic Suburbia what else is there? Oh, I was Verity, trying to think. Right? But that's a Doctor Who one, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, I don't, yeah. And then there, there's SF Squeecast that has several. Oh, yes, that's true. I've never, I've never listened to it. I should, I should give it a go. Mm-hmm. I think this Skiffy and Fenty has some women in it, doesn't not, it? Yeah, not, not generally main hosts anymore, I don't think. But they do, they do have, they do have a lot of panelists and guests that are women yeah often that's it what else is there so there's sword and laser which veronica belmont is on she's a co-host of that okay writer and the critic Kristen mcdermott there's tea and jeopardy which is a discussion podcast oh right i've never listened to this one as well but other than that i don't know because we're such a small field and i have such particular interests that yeah, I think that I have not explored, and I think there tends to be a lot of like specific podcasts too about topics, like six shows. I mean, I like Doctor Who, but I don't have the desire to listen to a Doctor Who podcast. No, Sorry. no, yeah. Number one, I don't, I don't stay caught up with Doctor Who enough, and also I tend to be a lot, really mad at Doctor Who, and I'm afraid <laughs> if I listen to the podcast about Doctor Who, I just get mad at everybody, <laughs> which would not be their fault; it would be my fault. But Doctor Who tends to make me a little angry. Let's avoid that. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I think that we're just gonna create a form and ask people to suggest their podcast in the form, or on Twitter, or on Facebook. Right? We can do that. We can yes. ask people to send us su- suggestions for podcasts that I listen to, and for podcasts I listen to that are hosted by women. Yes, please. Yes. In the male-dominated world of podcasts, more women are claiming the mic is available at beachmagazine.org and we will be sure to include it in our show notes along with our podcast recommendation form. Please do, do send your recommendations to us. We are very keen to hear what you have to say. Lock In by John Scalzi shows us a world struck by a virus that creates a critical medical crisis across every population. Most have a fever and get better. Some suffer from symptoms like meningitis, but a small portion find themselves locked in forever. They are unable to move even while fully awake and aware of the world around them. The book follows newly minted FBI agent Chris Shane during the first week on the job, diving into a murder that is more than it seems, all the while grappling with disability, gender, and what it means to be human and live fully in the world. So, uh, Renee, 
Facebook was one of your picks. It was. And I, I know that you were a huge Scousy fan. I am. This was my first book by John Scousy. I'm not nervous you... at all. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so... Where should we begin? Where would you like to go first, my dear? Oh, my God. Anna just put me out of my misery. Did you like this book or not? I did. I did like it. <sighs> I'm not going to say that I loved it or that I am like, oh, my God, now I understand why everybody loves John Scousy. But I did like it. Um, I wonder whether I had too high expectation, maybe, because I thought, I thought like the book had quite a few moments of info dumping that I just don't do well with. But that's just me as a reader. Is that like the science parts? The science parts, not necessarily, but most like more like conversations that people had. And they would go into, so this is what happened. So this is what it is. And it just felt like dragged on and stopped the motion within the plot. Things were happening that they would sit down and have a conversation that was going to be full of info dumps and ex exposition. So that was my main problem with it. I think there were several things that were really interesting about it, especially because that's the thing that interests me the most, the gender thing in the book. I don't know if you want to want to dive in straight into yeah, this. Yeah, we should. This has spoilers. <laughs> I don't know. Just go read the book. It's like it's really short, and just go read it, and you can come listen to all the spoilers. Did you know before you read the book that he did not gender the character? He did not gender the character. No, I did not. I I knew nothing about that book actually. So you read it, and did, yes. when you read it, what? Who was Chris Shane to you? He not he she was a girl. I read it as a woman all the time. I read it as a black man. Oh, what did you read it? Because um. There wasn't a clear indication about gender, for sure. No, there's not was, at all in the book. Not and, at all. But was there any indication about racial definition? His because dad. Was he, was he said to be a black man? But it did. In the, remember? Because his dad had to quit. He had, his dad had to drop out of the senator race because of the visualization of a black man with a gun. Was it because of that? I didn't get that. What do you mean you didn't get that? Was it was it specifically said in the novel? Yeah. Oh God, did I miss it? I guess it's it terrible. Yeah, because it happens I I when it happens when they try to kill. They come. They come to try to kill. Oh no, yes, I understood that he had to quit the 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 Senate run, but not because he was a black man, but just because he had a gun and had killed someone. Yeah, I mean it says it explicitly: a big black, oh. a big black man with a gun. That's in America. That's people don't like that. People, oh, white people don't like that. We're there is a thing about that image, and I'm, this is a far future novel, but that's not in an inaccurate... I, c I can imagine several men in my life who would have a coronary at that, at that image. <laughs> that, but yeah, okay. like, that's, the, that's the thing. That was the whole thing, that he was black. We don't know about his mom. I, we're no. less clear about his mother. So at the very least, Chris would be mixed race. Mm -hmm. But we don't know... He her gender, his gender, Chris's gender. We don't know Chris's gender at all because it's never stated and it never comes up in a, in a way that would make it clear. And I didn't get this to the, to the novel, right? I read the whole thing and I didn't catch anything. 
I was like, wow, this is okay. I felt like, as, like I normally do with some of his standalone work, that I wanted more world building, which I always do with John Scalzi. I always want more of his world building. And then I was talking to KJ about it, and she was like, did you get this? I'm like, no, no, really? Wow. And I think it's real interesting that they did that experiment because the audiobook was released with two readers. Ah. Um, it was released read by Amber Benson, I think, and also Will Wheaton. Since the book doesn't doesn't give Chris a gender, depending on what audiobook you get, that changes the experience of the book. How interesting. Really interesting. I think they posted something about it on tour a little bit after the book came out, t- talking about it. And I think John Scalzi might have written on his blog about it, too. Yeah, I, after reading the book, I went and read... Uh, he didn't write. Someone else wrote about it at tour.com. There's this whole long analysis of the book from that gender perspective. And Scalzi linked to it from his blog. Oh, okay. Because I thought that was really interesting because there are no clear gender descriptions. Not it's, And it's from Chris's perspective, right? So there is not even a mention. I don't even know how to address this because anything I say would make gender a fixed thing when it doesn't have to be. Yeah, in the book it doesn't. It's completely... Neutral, which is an interesting, yes. it's an interesting exercise, number one, that would have driven me crazy trying to write that. I would have, I still struggle a lot with but the binary um, gender, the yeah. gender spectrum. I struggle with it quite often, and I would have just driven me crazy in the book. I'm still practicing, I'm still working on it for myself. Because right. I, as Ira likes to say to me, I am a super cis person. I'm super cisgender. It's like a superpower. <laughs> 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 they mock me all the time over it. How, how, lo- how, funnily enough, how locked in I am to my gender identity. I don't really, I don't think about it ever. Yeah. And so this was a really interesting book to read in that I just immediately read the book and made Chris a black man. I had other friends who read it and, like you, missed the part about his dad and read it, read it as a white dude. But all those people were white dudes. No, actually, I didn't read him as a white dude. I was never, I I think I missed that part of him being a black man, but I never read him as a black, as a white dude either. I just, I just thought the whole novel was a lack of gender and racial definition. So they could have been anything. But what, but your brain went somewhere because even people. My brain went to a woman, but not. I didn't have any race specifics. I'm not a visual reader anyway, so I don't create an image in my head of the reader. So I didn't, I didn't think of any specific race races, but I read Chris as a woman and I kept, and then afterwards I tried to understand why. And I think it was because of Chris's partner, Leslie Van, because, because Chris was partnered with a woman However, Leslie, yeah, she was addressed as a woman, wasn't she? Because mm-hmm. Leslie is also a man's a man's name, and Chris is is could be either, mm-hmm. could be man, could be a woman, could be anything. So because Chris was partnered with another woman, and I thought their interactions were interesting, and I kind of like re- read Chris as a woman, but yeah, apparently not even John Scalzi knows. I just think it's really cool. 
I thought it was interesting. However, I have I have one thing to say that I kind of thought that Chris as a character was not that well developed. It was kind of nondescript. And I wonder if that lack of gender definition in any way could have something to do with it. Like the lack of applying a gender to Chris in the narrative made the character harder to define and therefore harder to characterize well yes in the novel. maybe maybe, maybe so. when you're writing a when you're trying to write a character and make them neutral you lose all your shorthand right you lose all your gender shorthand yes that you use to build characters because we're all influenced by the life we have and if we live in the world as a woman or as a man or somebody on the like somebody who is non-binary, those experiences influence who we become and how we interact with the world. And I'm curious if that was a, an aspect of building this character and making the character fully formed. I am sort of used to this with Skeleton's running. Like I said, I'll often lay around and whine because there's not enough world building. I want more of the characters he makes because I generally tend to like his characters a lot. Like in this book, I really liked... Tony, the little yeah. computer guy, and I also liked Leslie a lot. I loved well. Leslie. Yeah. And I think the best moments of the book for me when when they were just hanging out together. When there was when they were like, talking to each other about things other than work. About their world, about their experiences. When they were more real, I think. And they, when they were joking as well. So I kind of like I liked the humor in the novel when there was humor because it's it's a very it's a kind of a dark novel obviously it's murder it's, it's a novel a lot a lot about the restriction of consent he digs in he doesn't cover it specifically he leaves it there for you to think about right he doesn't he explicitly yeah. he explicitly talks about the disability stuff like right when they when he goes to la and they try to put him uh and they put him in a three with broken legs and bring a wheelchair out how they deal with some of the slurs he has to live with, some of the assumptions people make uh, about him. And as you can see, I'm saying him because to me, Chris is a, yeah. black, a black dude. And I think that's interesting because I do a lot of more, I do a lot of character building in my head. And I think that maybe comes from the fact that I do a lot of, I'm a writer. So I tend to build out stories and characters in ways that other people might not do. I write a, like, I write a lot of fan fiction and to write a lot of fanfic, you have to think about character and their motivations and where they might have come from and who they might be in the future to write effective fanfic. Okay. So, and I think maybe that's why to, to me, Chris seemed more fleshed out because I did it myself and now I can't undo it. The novel also dealt with gender in a way that didn't deal with it at all. Right. You, you come to no, yes, the experience. Yes, absolutely. And it's the same with the consent issue. The book sort of touches on it, right? Because of the, nature of the plot itself brains the integrators yeah the fact they... that the, the fact that there's an exploit that allows people to remove the ability for people to consent i mean you touch on it and obviously leslie in the book has a lot of problems with that with that setup yes because of her backstory but it also kind of leaves it to the side for you to pick up after the novel this is very much actually i think a a book club book, a discussion book. Oh yes, absolutely, absolutely. Like, I agree with that. It's very light. It's very like light and airy, and there's not a lot of characterization there, and it's just these ideas, and then he leaves them there, and then he wants you to come and pick them up and talk about them with somebody. It's like a water cooler book. It's the most 
it's the smartest marketing of a book that I've seen in a long time. But did you see this book reviewed a lot? I didn't see it reviewed a lot. What I've seen with this book is it being talked about offline. I've seen a, like a lot of my a lot of people I know offline read this book. Okay, no, I I don't have that experience. Yeah. Um, mo- most of my most book talk is online. online. Yeah. No, I, what I've seen I is people I... talking about this. I talked about this book in the I am with people, right? I didn't review it, but I talked about it a lot with a lot of different people who read it. People are speaking about it, right? They're having discussions around it, even if they're not formally reviewing it. Another thing that I thought interesting, what you said about things that are there, but not maybe explicitly said. Uh, Another thing was the question of privilege and how it affected uh, who had Hayden or not and how, and how the treatment would be done and whether people would be treated by government or private companies and you have the exploitation of medical advances and medicine and possibilities of where people were going to leave and how they would be treated. And even though there is no, there is the word privilege, I don't think is ever used in, in, in the novel. And everything is from Chris's perspective. And Chris has Hayden. Chris's body is there in his or hers parents' house all the time. And Chris is a douchebag, even though he's or her is the narrator of the novel. Chris has so much privilege, even though he is also disabled, although there is a conversation to be had about the extent of that disability or not. Anything that happened to Chris, Chris would go like, oh, I have the money, I'm just going to pay for it. Yeah, right. There was a moment where he left in the LA office where he left the lady there with the wheelchair and went and just rented yeah. another three, but then yeah. didn't tell like, didn't tell her. No. I thought that, yeah, that was really interesting. The the difference between having money and not having money. Yes. Or, like, Chris would not, he, or she did not even think about it. Until later. And there was a lot of those moments, right, where. A lot like, of oh, them. Oh, I, I inconvenienced so-and-so, or well, whatever. I can, I can I'm, just, just, I'm just, I'm just going to pay for it. Like, I'm going to pay for, I'm going to pay for this guy's funeral. I'm going to pay for this. I'm gonna, it's just so much money. It never even crosses Chris's mind to question how easy, in a way, things are for them. There was a moment where he kills, like, the third threat that he has, and I was like, Jesus, how many... I was like, are we... Like, I was like, is there gonna be, like, a thing where we get to the end of the novel and he's destroyed, like, like, six or seven of these? Yes, exactly. It's just a complete... It's not an issue, and that is so. It was so. It was so clear to me the amount of privilege that Chris had, but the story never touched it. It's just there for you to see. No, I didn't think about that like until towards the end. I didn't really get that towards the end, and then I mean, when I buy something, I tend to wear it to the ground. So <laughs> it's really. It was really. I got to the end where he finally like he gets he gets shot and. Oh, like again, again, really, again. <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god!" And that's when it finally clicked. When he called his dealer, right, and said, "I want this here, and you can have the bonus if you do it this way." I was like, "Whoa!" 
But everything, everything. So there was a complete disregard for procedure as well on Leslie's side because Leslie is just that type of person. But on Chris's side, because everything for Chris was money. So Tony uh, was hired by Chris without even considering whether the FBI would be able to afford it or not. And then Tony kept saying, oh, this will cost my money. And he's going to say, yeah, no problem. I don't care. Because he has that money and he could go through several trips in a row without a problem because he didn't have a problem getting a new one. But obviously there are other people in their world that do have that problem and the story showed that as well. It didn't feel like Chris ever really acknowledged it, even though the narrative acknowledged it. Yes, exactly. No, that- because he, he, he isn't aware of his privilege. In that sense, of course, he knows or she knows that they have money, but they just, you know, it's part of their reality. They can't imagine not having it. Yes. And so they can't imagine a world where it's an issue. Yes, but obviously it is an issue within the world because that's part of the conversation. Because there are people that can't afford trips, uh, especially the community where Chris moved in as well. So those people don't have private carers like he does or she does. It's interesting because I keep calling Chris he here in this podcast, whereas I read through and it was a she in my head. How Blame weird me. is it's that? My, it's my fault. You are dominating I... this conversation with your melonness. <laughs> I influenced you. You are influencing me. <laughs> so I have read several, I say several John Scalzi novels, as if John Scalzi wasn't the reason I got back into SF. I've read a, a lot of his work. I think the only thing I'm lacking at this point is... Fuzzy Nation and Agent of the Stars. Okay. I'm pretty sure. But this was your first book. Yes. So my question is, would you read him again? I guess it wouldn't be a priority. Not because of not because I didn't like the book, but probably because I don't prioritize dudes. Whoops. Well, if I was like, However, I love I... this book. You have to read it. Would you read it? Yes. Okay. See, it's fun then we're good. I was really worried, you see, because John Scalzi is one of my favorite SF authors. I actually really admire him as well. I read his, I follow his blog. I, you know, I admire his... um, Tenacity. Yes, and he's an ally as well, which, which is important because he has a huge platform and I don't disregard that for a moment. Yes, I would read, wouldn't prioritize it unless you told me that you would really want me. Too. Yes, Android's Dream. Do it. Which one? Android's Dream. I don't even think I have heard of that one. It was. I think it was one of his earlier novels. Okay. The thing about me and Scalzi is that I read, I read Old Men's War first. That was my first Scalzi novel, and then I didn't read any of the others until until after I had read Android's Dream. So my most of my experience of him, like as an author who got me back into SF, is comes from Android's Dream. Okay. So how does Lockin compare to the rest of the books that you read by him? It's way more commercial. You know okay. what I mean? It's light. It's it's a lot lighter than some of his other stuff. Like regular people could plug into it easier. Like people who aren't do, don't generally read SF. And I can I can tell. I also do think that it often sounds like him. If that makes sense. Some of the comedy in yeah. the book, it sounds like him. It's like when somebody has a really specific voice and you know what that voice sounds like. And some yeah. of the comedy in the book definitely sounds like 
him instead of like a character that he's building. I like this book a whole lot. It's not my favorite book by him. My favorite book by him is still Zoe's Tale. And then my second favorite book by him is Android's Dream. I guess I'm tending not to like his newer standalone stuff as much as his. I like his older stuff. I still like it a lot. Like the Lock In was one of my top novels uh, of last year, and I also put it on my Hugo ballot. Thanks a lot. Okay, so that was going to be that was going to be my next question. Yeah, the one question that I have for you: Do you think had things worked differently, this book could have made the Hugo ballot? Maybe. It was a really hard field this year. If you look at the novels that are doing well but yeah since it ended up on the campbell i'm kind of curious if it since he, the hugo is a popular award i'm kind of curious if it's not going to be when we get that final count it's not going to be up there i also wonder if he would have declined the nomination no. because of no i don't think okay so. i don't think he would have i mean i hope not that would have just been really funny if he had ended up on the ballot during this year could you imagine jesus christ God. how funny I know. I like... They would have had a meltdown. <laughs> oh, that would have been funny. Too bad that didn't happen. Some, in some reality, that happened, and it was so, hilarious. So, did you did you like the infamous red shirts? I didn't understand red shirts because I didn't. I don't have the Star Trek for it. I mean, okay. it was an okay, it was okay. Like it was entertaining enough to read, but since I don't have the I don't have the credentials, Star Trek credentials, because. I have only watched like bits and pieces of the original Star Trek series because it hits my embarrassment quick super hard. <laughs> I get so embarrassed watching that show. I'm like, oh, this is so humiliating. I gotta stop. <laughs> so I don't have it. And like my Star Trek was mostly next generation. So since I don't have some of that history with the franchise, a lot of this book, a lot of parts of this book were hard for me to get. And I didn't understand the satire. That was my problem with Red Shirts. Red Shirts was, it was making fun of, like, bad casting, bad gender dynamics, bad racial makeup of your cast. Like, it was mocking a lot of stuff. Like, it was, okay. the he he wrote it in a way where it, it, some parts of it were, like, legitimately bad because he was making fun of, like, legitimately bad science fiction shows. And it took me a long time to get that why some of the gender dynamics weren't so great. And okay. then I just felt stupid, and then I got mad at myself. And I don't like feeling st- like I don't like feeling stupid when I read. So maybe if I had the credentials for Star Trek that everybody else did, I would have enjoyed Red Shirts and gotten a joke. But because I didn't get the joke, I didn't. I wasn't laughing. I just felt like the book was laughing at me for not getting it. Oh, Red Shirts is probably my least favorite of his novels. I wonder if I should read it. I'm Depends curious on if you now. Like Star Trek, I guess he was just criticizing some stuff that I wasn't aware of at okay. the time. That's all right. So, Not every author is going to have a book, no matter how much you like them, that speaks to you. But I liked it. Yay, lucky. Yeah, I liked it as well. I'm glad I read it. So I finally read a John Scalzi novel. Yay, Yay. Woohoo! Fantastic. <laughs> Locking is available now wherever you get your books. If you've read it, let us know your thoughts. It's recommendation time. So, Renee, you're up first. What do you have to recommend? I have a really particular read on Steve Rogers that the movies don't always bear out. Like I have, I'm really opinionated about Steve. I have a lot of opinions about how he should be characterized. And there was a fic going around Tumblr talking about what type of PR person would he be? Like, how would he handle public relations? And somebody wrote a, a fic about this character that became 
his public relations manager and tried to manage his public relations and thought it was going to be really easy. And then it wasn't. The thing is called <laughs> Steve Rogers PR Disaster. <laughs> it is so funny. I cried laughing reading this. It's about 4,000 words. It's not that long. And it's hilarious. Steve Rogers is an asshole. And this book is perfect. This poor, poor PR person just was like, I can't handle this. I have to quit. <laughs> I highly recommend it if you just need something really short to read that won't make you sad, that will make you super happy. Do you know what? Since we're talking about Steve Rogers, I'm going to let our listeners know oh, no. that I finally read <laughs> that baby Bucky fanfic recommendation that Renee had. 8,000 um, years ago, she finally read it. And I finally, I finally got her to read, read it, it. but... Well, first of all, 167 pages on my Kindle. That's and I'm that like... Long. That's not that long. That's doable. That is... That is... I was not expecting it to be that long. I was expecting, like, two pages. No, fam, no, no. But I devoured way. it in two hours. Exactly. Right? exactly. So, and it was super good. But the thing that strikes me the most about that piece of fan fiction is that today I was on Tumblr and I saw a picture of Steve in Captain America Winter Soldier and I looked at this Steve from the movie and I thought about the Steve from fanfic and I wished for the beautiful virgin gay character <laughs> to be the character that I saw on screen. And I don't think that that's what we have in the movies, which I kind of make it, makes me understand what you say when you say that fanfic fixes everything. It fixes everything. <laughs> well, mostly it fixes most things. Some things it just can't fix. They try, but it doesn't always. It doesn't always work. It's okay. Well, it was adorable. So that recommendation, I really, I yeah, I, I had to go and download the fic second. and email it to you, and you finally read it. Now I know, <laughs> now I know the secret. Now I know how to get you to read all the fanfic. Send it to you directly. Yes, probably. In EPUB. Here you go. Download this and read it. Yeah, it made it easier. I'll, I'll, I'll admit to that. I will be. I will personally deliver fanfic to you. All right, my personal fanfic recommender yes. or something. Okay. So my recommendation is The Light Tree. It's a new book by my favorite author. Uh, Frances Harding is a UK-British uh, writer. She is amazing. I have no words to describe her fiction. She writes uh, children's and YA. This new book, I think, is her first YA novel. I've read every single one of, no of her novels. I think there are seven so far. Uh, and this one was the best to date. Um, it's about a young girl in Victorian times who is constantly told what she can or cannot do as a woman, as a young girl growing up to be a woman. And she's surrounded by men and women and she doesn't get along well with her mom, whom she perceives to be this vapid creature that uses her looks to get things. She doesn't really pay attention to any other woman around around her and she really worships her father uh, because this is a, a very feminist writer. Everything 
that I just described get subverted by the end of the novel and her relationships morph and her vision of the world changes so that all the women that were invisible to her become visible and with stories that were there throughout the novel and the main character just did not notice them because of the way that she's brought up. And it was just so amazing. And also there is an element of the supernatural because what Frances Harding does very well is to create the supernatural thing. So in this book, there's a light tree. It's a tree that if you feed the tree lies, you have to whisper into the tree. The tree will give up fruits that if you eat the fruits, you get a truth. So it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating premise. It doesn't overwhelm the narrative at all. It's just an amazing novel. I highly recommend it. The Light Tree by Frances Harding. I really should read her. Everybody's been after me. Like, so I read, me. A, I read a Joan Scalzi. You should read a Frances Harding. That's a fair trade, I think. But my right? problem was that my library didn't have any of her books. Yeah, it's hard. I don't think I don't think they are well distributed in the U.S. But Anna sent me <gasps> oh fa- a face like glass. That's fantastic. It's a so I have it. Of- I just need to read it. I will now move it up my list. Yes, 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 yes. Please, they are such good books, and all of the all of the protagonists she has are girls growing up, coming of age. It's just beautiful. It's beautiful. I cried so much at the end of the light tree. Not because it was sad, but because it was so beautiful. So beautiful. It's amazing. So that's it from us today. Uh, Renee, thanks for talking with me this week. You're welcome. You'll find links to some of the things we discussed today in our show notes at fangirlhappyhour.com. You can email us at fangirlhappyhour at gmail.com. Find us at Fangirl Happy Hour on both Tumblr and Facebook and chat with us on Twitter at Fangirl Podcast. For both myself and Renee, thanks for listening and see you next episode.